Here we have, as our title says, Jesus praying for his disciples here in the text before us. And as we know, chapter 17 is the Lord's Prayer, where he actually prayed this. And we are in the middle of that prayer, which has three sections to it. In the first section, in verses 1 through 5, the Lord Jesus Christ, in praying for personal desires, prayed for him, himself to be glorified and the Father to receive glory through the Son. And so we have that uniting and glorification there. And then the section that we're in, our current study, is verses actually 6 through 19, and we took it up uh, through verse 10 last week, or two weeks ago, but we are in this section, the second one of our study, and then, Lord willing, we'll deal with the last section, verses 20 to 26, where we'll see he is praying for all believers. But in this particular section that we're in, now here's where our study is, we are in the second section of his praying, and we asked ourselves three questions, if you recall, a couple of weeks ago, so that we could understand the text better. First of all, whom is he praying for? Well, we answered that question, but let's just look at that for just a moment here in verses 6 through actually the beginning of verse 11. But whom is he praying for? If you look at verse 9, he says, I ask on their behalf, I do not ask on behalf of the world. So he was not praying for just everybody generically. He wasn't praying for all people of the world. In verse 6, he says he's praying for those, and you can look at it, that Jesus revealed the Father to. He is praying specifically for the ones that he has revealed the Father to. He is praying specifically for the ones who were given to Jesus Christ. And it is the Father who gives them to Christ. And thirdly, that they had kept the Father's word. And if you look at verse 8 of that passage, it even expands on that. Because in verse 8, it very clearly says that he's praying for the ones who receive the word who understood the word, and thirdly, believe the word. And so as we look at all those things, while he does have the world at his concern, in this particular prayer, it is focused in this section for those given to him, those who had received the word, had the Father revealed to them, they understood it, and they believed it. And that is that he's praying for his disciples here, and more specifically, as we said, he is praying for his apostles. So as we continue on this morning in our exposition of this passage, he's still in this section where he is praying for his apostles. The second question that we asked, and we also answered this one, why does he pray for them and rather than pray for the entire world? Well, again, he shows us, because you can look at it again, verse 9, because they are true believers. These were people who had truly come to the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, it very clearly, he's asking on their behalf because they were given to him. They are the fathers. In other words, they are true believers. They belong to God. These are true children of God. While that expression is loosely used today, people saying they are Christians or they are a child of God, in one sense, generically, by creation, we are all part of God's creation. But those, as far as true believers or Christians, are the ones who have been given to the Father and have come to believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. Secondly, in verse 10, it is because of their unity. Because they belong to God, they are united with God, and they have the truth, we said. And that is evident. And then thirdly, and this is tying right into where we're coming today, in the first part of verse 11, the third reason why he was praying for them, as we have seen throughout this section, 
going all the way back to chapter 13 and moving forward, it is because Jesus was leaving the earth, going back to the Father. So the first part of verse 11, I am no longer in the world, and yet they themselves are in the world, and I come to you. So the third reason he was praying for them is the Lord Jesus Christ is returning to the Father, and they were to remain. They were carry on the work, carry on the work. So as he's praying for them specifically, we come to that third question that we had asked, and that is, well, then what does he pray for them? They're going to stay here on earth. They're going to carry on the work of Christ. And in praying for them, what are the specifics of this prayer? Why is he, what is he praying for specifically for them? Now, we might suspect, and we want to look at this, as we look at the prayer, that he might pray for things like this, longevity of life. Is that what he's going to pray for? He's going to pray that, Lord, uh, Father, give them a long life. Give them wealth. Give them good health. And as I pray, as we're talking about these things, and I'm just throwing these up uh, to you as, is this what he's really praying for? I want you to think about your own prayer life. I want me to think about my own prayer life as I went through this. What do we concentrate our prayer on? Since we have such a limited amount of time here, and we are the ones carrying on for Christ. As he prays for his apostles, does he pray for them to always have good health? Does he pray for them to have wealth? Does he pray for them for longevity of life? Listen to this. Does he pray in this prayer, as we look at it, keep this in mind, does he pray, don't let them go through trials. Get them out of their trials. Is that what he's going to pray for? Give them a great family relationship. Give them a good job. Give them a great education. Pray for their weather to be good always when they're on vacation. Is that what he's praying for? You know, I'm being serious. Pray, I pray for them, Father, that they'd really store up enough funds so their retirement plan will carry them on through till they die. Is he praying for any of that stuff? Well, let me ask you something else. Here it is again, the Lord Jesus Christ is going to leave them. He's hours away from leaving them. Hours. And as he prays for them, maybe he's going to pray, Father, give them the ability to perform a bunch of miracles. Or, I want to pray for them, Father, so that every time they witness, everybody listens to them. Is that what he's going to pray for? Let's take a look. And let's see how he prays for them. I've broken it down, as I do usually when I study, just the way the Lord broke it down into three areas where he is praying for them. But before we do that, I think we want to take one look at something you're very familiar with. Would you turn with me to 1 John chapter 2? You would probably quote these verses to me. But in the midst of this prayer for his apostles, I want you to see this because I want you to watch for it even as we go through the three areas that he's praying to see if it doesn't have some consistency with this. Watch. 1 John chapter 5, verse 15. Uh, what did I say? Chapter 5. I meant 2. I'm sorry. My brain just uh, got a disconnect there. In 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 and 16. Do not love the world nor the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, watch, the love of the Father is not in him. 
For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. We know that passage, often quoted, often referred to. And I won't take the time, but we would, if we were to look at some other scripture you're familiar with, we would just see that the basic enemy of the believer, the basic enemy that the apostles were facing is their own flesh. It was the world and it was the devil. That's what they were facing as he was going to leave them. They were going to have opposition to everything that they believed and everything that they had taught by their own flesh, by the devil, and by the world. And they were not to love the world. So how is he going to pray for them? What is he going to do? Keep that in mind. Here's number one, verses 11 through 14, and it's there in your outline in the bulletin. The first thing he prays for is if for any of those things that I said, let's look. He prays for this, for them to be kept in his name. There's the fill in the blanks for you. First thing he prays for is for them to be kept in his name. Okay? Why? And I think he's dealing with their flesh here. Well, that's why I went back, the flesh, the devil, and the world. Watch. He's praying for them to be kept in his name. Watch how he begins. He first of all begins with the character of God because they will lose the battle, I believe, if they don't understand this. First two words, Holy Father. Now that's an interesting term. It, John is the only one that uses this, by the way. And he says, Holy Father. Why does he go back and say, Holy Father? Because he understood this, his Apostles need to remember this, that everything about God is perfect and holy. Everything. God is holy. God is sinless. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. I won't turn there. You can put the reference. You'll recognize it as soon as I say it. We ought to be holy. Why? In all our, by the way, holy in all our manner of conduct. Why? Because he who has called us is holy. Right? Isn't that what it says? It's a reminder to the believer why we're to have a holy life. Why? Because the one who called us, the one who we are representing, is holy. Why bring that up? That's his nature. That's his character. This will help us to understand the next three words, by the way. He's a holy father. The God, the one true God of this world. I believe that the world has lost perspective on this. The world is creating its own gods and goddesses the way they think God is. And it's often overlooked the fact that God is a holy and perfect God. I would also say to you that I believe that many professing Christians, many believers have lost sight of this. That the character and nature of God, to begin with, the one who we represent, is holy. And it should affect our decisions. It should affect our thinking. It should affect our attitude. It should affect our actions. When we understand that we say we're Christians, when these apostles go and they are sent forth, which the word means, and they are left behind, 
He's praying for them, and he says, Holy Father, I want you to really get something into their life. And he starts with that. Why? Here it is, the end of the ministry of Jesus Christ, and he never lost sight. Now you say he's God, yes. He's God's son, yes. But he's got it there for a reason. He never lost sight of the fact that the one that he represented, that the one that sent him forth, the one who from eternity past, verse 5, he was with and he was going back to, was holy. Not like the world represents him. Not like Satan represents him. Not like mankind represents him. And he focuses in on this unity. He never lost sight of the fact that the one he was with and united to was holy. The one true God is not like the world. He created it. The one true God, and I'm going back to the terms that we've seen over and over, verse 3 there. The one true God is not like the world. He created it. He is not like us. He's perfectly holy. He does not lower his character, nor does he lower his standards for convenience. Rather, he is who he is by his nature and reflects holiness perfectly. And so he starts with Holy Father, and then he says these words. Keep them in your name. That's the first thing he prays for. In praying for his apostles, he says, keep them in your name. He prays to the Holy Father and says, guard them. That's what the word keep means. Protect them. Watch over them. How? In his name? Sounds kind of funny, doesn't it? Now, this could be locative or it could be also instrumental. And I believe, for the benefit of those who are aware of that, that it's really locative. He's not dealing with the instrumental. Either one would fit. But he's not just saying, keep them by your power or by your name. I, I like the translation here. It is in your name. Why? What's he getting at? The name of a person, when he says, keep them in your name, what is he dealing with? The name of a person represented everything about that person, especially in Old Testament times they understood that. We just go around and say, hey, Carol, Bill, Tom, Alice, we throw names around, there's no significance. But the name of God, to be kept in the name of God, it was everything that he represents. And the son never lost sight of that. Everything he did was in the name of the father. Everything he did was because of who he belonged to and who he represented. And he never lost sight of that. And he's praying to the Father, keep them in their mental attitude, in all that they do, keep them in the location, if you will, of understanding that they're yours, of the relationship that you have. Work that out. The Son always worked in harmony because of who he represented. He represented the Father. That is what kept Jesus Christ from temptation and yielding to it because of who he belonged to, because of who he represented. That is what kept him seeking, listen, his own will. Think about what's going to happen shortly. Father, save me from this hour. What kept him there? Nevertheless, not my will, your will be done. 
Keep me in the location of understanding your name and who I represent. I do always the will of the Father. That's where he was. That's what kept him from denying and walk away, walking away from God's plan to do his own plan. He would always go back to say, I always do that which pleases my Father. Why? Because Jesus Christ himself was on this earth, kept in, if you will, the location of understanding that he represented his Holy Father. Jesus has manifested the Father. Remember that in the context? He's revealed the Father. He's explained the Father to who? His apostles. And they've believed it. And his first prayer is, because of their own flesh, is that they might believe it and were in unite, unity with God and they understood it and stayed there. Let me give you a verse to help you out. Go with me to Ephesians chapter 4. As long as his apostles stayed in that location in their thinking, in their purpose, in their plans, in their message, they would have the unity and harmony of the Godhead working through their life. They would be in unity with the Father. They would understand what he was doing. In Ephesians chapter 4, this is really what's involved in verse 1. Therefore, conclusion, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you. Who's he talking to? The Ephesian saints. He implores them what? To watch. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. In all of chapter 4, all of chapter 5, all of chapter 6, which is the outworking of the Christian life. Fathers, wives, husbands, children, workers, every single possible relationship is talked about. How to use your tongue. It's all built on the fact that you are to walk in a manner consistent with your calling. And in the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians, he's outlined for them that before the foundation of the world, you were called to be saints. You have this relationship with the Father. Stay there. And as you walk through life and deal with all that has to happen in the next three chapters of Ephesians, represent the one that you've been called to. Make it a worthy walk with the calling. That's the idea behind this prayer. Go back to John chapter 17. It is the concept of staying there in your purpose, in your message. Holy Father, keep them in your name. Keep them there. Think about it. How many times during the course of the day do we just go about our business, make decisions, do what we do, have our actions without ever considering our position in the Father and where we are and who we're representing? And what he's saying for his apostles, keep them there. Why? Because first of all, what he says is their joy will be full. That's what he's going to get to. Look at verse 13. I speak in the world so that they may, what? That they may have my joy made full in them. 
that's in the same context of that first part of the prayer. They will have that joy. They will understand it. They won't walk away from the things of Christ if the Father keeps them in that location of their name, so to speak. If he keeps them in unity. Notice verse 11, because he deals with the fact as he goes on that we are one as they are one. That's in unity of mind, in purpose, in direction. Look at verse 11. Purpose, that they may be one even as we are. You see? That's the way the son walked. He wants to pray that even their mentality, their thinking, their purpose, their direction. Verse 12, he always went back to God's word. He didn't have a different plan. While I was with them, I kept them in your name. He kept them focused. Every time they would go down a wrong path, he kept them focused. That's what it was, which you have given to me. I guarded them. None of them have perished except one. And who is that? He says, so there is the keeping also of falling away. The preservation of the saints is seen here, yes. That was Judas Iscariot, by the way, who was not saved. He is the son of perdition. But that was all part of the scripture. His heart was not in line with God. Think about this. Judas Iscariot is the one he's referring to there in verse 12. And why did he fall away? His heart was never united. His motive was greed. He was with Christ, had all the benefits of it. Is it possible to be going along as a professing Christian and not be in harmony with the plan of God and have your own plan and your heart never being in real unity with him, in harmony with him? Absolutely. And not being a real believer? Yes. But his prayer for them is for them not to ever fall away, for them to stay there. They will not be loved by the world. Look at verse 14. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them. Why? Because they are not of the world. They need to stay there. They need to stay there. When you profess the gospel, people will turn away. There's a lot of talk, even among Christians, about how people are just waiting. They're dying out there to hear the gospel. That's not really biblical. They're not. They're dying, but they're, when you confront them with the gospel, they don't want to hear it. God's got to open their heart. God's got to give them understanding. They will not love you. They will hate you until they come to know Christ. Then they'll love you. The world won't like us. The gospel good news makes them uncomfortable that they're a sinner, that they're lost. And he wants his apostles, when he leaves, to be kept in that place. It is so important because if the apostles are not kept in the name of the Father, that is, in the sense of that relationship and the unity and the harmony, they'll go off in different directions and have 12 different plans, 11 different plans if you take Judas Iscariot out of the picture. They won't work in harmony with God the Father and with God the Spirit and with God the Son. Where would the church be today if he didn't pray that God protect them and keep them in that place when the early church started? Everybody would have gone off in a different direction. Everybody. This is not dealing with the fact that they could lose their salvation. It is not dealing with the fact of that at all. Yes, he's praying in the sense that they'll be kept in his name and and in, in the sense that they're always going to belong to him, that is eternal security. But the idea is really to be kept with what they've been taught, with what they've been given, 
And these things he's spoken to them, and their joy will truly be full, not because trials go away, but because they have victory in him. If we lose our focus, if we lose our focus of unity with the Father, we will drift back into the world. We will have an unholy life. We will desert the things of Christ. We will be ineffective. And the first thing he prays for a holy father, and he's got to do this, you keep them. Keep them in that focus. Our tendency is to pull away. Our tendency is to love the world. Our tendency is to be attracted to those things we just looked at in 1 John. Remember, James chapter 4 says, if anyone loves the world, he's an enemy of God. And he first prays for that to be in their focus. So I believe that needs to be our focus, even in our flesh. His prayer is not for the, all those other things, but it's that they really be kept in that relationship. And Father, you need to be the one to keep them there. And he needs to be the one to hold us. And we are kept by his power. It's used in that sense in First Peter, that we're kept by the power of God. But here he's praying, just keep them in that place in that place where their focus is on their relationship with you because their joy will be full. The second thing he prays for is found in verses 15 and 16. And what is it? He prays for them to be kept from the evil one. Verse 15. I do not ask you to take them out of the world. Now that sounds kind of silly right there in a sense, but think about it. How many times, oh, Lord Jesus, just come now. Please come before I have to face that surgery. Please come before I have to face this, or this has to happen, or that has to happen. Or hurry up back and get me out of this. He doesn't pray for them to believe in this world, not at all, but to keep them from the Holy One. They are going to remain in the world. God did not ask for, Jesus did not ask for them to be taken out of the world. We are built for this world. Our bodies We've heard that many times. People need to be in this world to reveal the gospel, to demonstrate Christ. Sometimes we would like to go home and be with him, but we are left here. Why? To carry on the work of God and his apostles would be left here. He was going, but they would be left. How are they going to reach people? By staying in the Father. How are they going to be able to reach people? He's encouraging them to minister to them. What do they need? They need to be kept from the evil one. Now, in fairness to the reading here, it could be read either way, because some of your Bibles may have that translation. It could be read to be kept from the evil one or from evil. Either one would fit the context, and both are true, just so I say that. I personally think the better rendering is the evil one, the devil. Why? Not only does our flesh want to pull us away from God the Father, but secondly, the devil is not happy with those who are walking with God. The devil is our enemy. What does he have in view? He has in view of getting us into a defeated life. The same with the apostles. Right? That they would drift away. They want, he wants to have the Father keep them from the power of being overcome by, if you will, the devil. Satan, what does he want to do? Destroy us. He's our enemy. I've said that. Think about it scripturally. What have you got? Job, right? Now the Lord went to him first, but he said, have you considered, oh, you're protecting him. You let me at him. I'll destroy him, basically. How about the Lord Jesus Christ? Matthew chapter 4. 
right? Took him into the wilderness. What was his desire? To defeat him. Now, he didn't do it. How about Peter? Let's go to that responsive reading, Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22. I think it's a good perspective to see this. I'll go down just to verse 31. Simon, 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 behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. You think Satan wants to destroy? I think so. You think Satan wants to destroy leadership? I think so. You think Satan wants to destroy your Christian walk? Absolutely. So what is Jesus praying for? <clears throat> Again, first that they be kept in the Father's name so their flesh doesn't take over. And then I think secondly, he's praying that they would be kept from the power of Satan having victory in his life. Now I want to finish this in, in Luke chapter 22 because Satan did get at Satan. Um, Satan did get at Paul, uh, Peter, excuse me. I'll get that right. Satan got at Peter. So did Jesus Christ's prayer fail? No. The idea is, again, the power. Notice this, right in there in verse 31, where he wants to sift him his wheat. He says, but I have prayed for you. Why? That your faith may not fail. You notice that? He didn't pray that he wouldn't be tempted by Satan. He didn't pray that he would get out of this situation. Even Jesus Christ prayed for Peter that his faith wouldn't fail. But he knew that there would be a failure in his part yet. And he says, you, when you once have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Peter still had some confidence in himself. That's why he says, I'm ready to die. And most believers would be that way. I'm ready to die. I can handle this. Don't worry about it. I'm okay, Lord. I'll, I'll die with you. I'll go to prison. Well, you know what, Peter? You're going to do both of those things. But not right now. You need to be humbled a little bit. And before this day is over, you're going to deny me. That's how we were, probably would have been. Now, where was that coming from? Satan's desiring to sift him at wheat. You notice he doesn't say, I'm not going to let him do it. Just like with Job, he didn't say, I'm not going to let him do it. He said, I pray that your faith won't fail. So what's he praying for now? It's the same idea. He's praying that when Satan comes along and he tempts them, keep them from the power of failing and giving in. How are they going to do that? By first being in the Father, focused in what the desires are, focused in who they are in Christ. You've got biblical examples. Let me give you one. Demas in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10. He's forsaken me. Why? Loving the present world. He went off. We saw it last week in Mark's message, if you listen. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, we're told not to love the riches of the world. What happened with the rich young ruler? Now, that was a case of an unsaved man. Let's not misunderstand. But the riches of this world took him away. And that's the world, yes, but Satan desires to get at people. And we see it that there is evil in the world that draws us away from the things of Christ, and there is also Satan, Satan getting at Peter, riches of this world attracting us, the Demas falling away, even 
the sower and the demonstration of the sower and his seed, what happens? Some of it gets plucked up. What will happen if we are not protected by the Father from Satan? We'll give in. That's what happened with Adam and Eve. They gave in. Satan is real. He's not something to be fooled around with. And so when Jesus is praying, the first thing he prays for is keep them in that center, in that location where they understand, Holy Father, who you are and who they are, and our unity. Secondly, I pray for the protection for them from the evil one. Why? For they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. They were in the world, but even as Christ was not of the world, they were not to be of the world. And what's the third aspect of it? And by the way, if we're not careful, we will drift away. That's Hebrews chapter 12. But how do we make practical sense out of it? It comes in the third one when he says this, sanctify them in the truth, and that's the third part of it. Sanctify them. Set them apart. If we are established in our relationship to the Father, and don't lose sight of that, and we walk worthy of the vocation to which we've been called, so to speak, just like his apostles would have been centered in their relationship to everything that the Son had revealed. And then Satan will tempt us. He will come at us. But again, if we're centered in Christ, we walk as Christ walked, we keep that focus, then how does the practical work out? Sanctify them how? In the truth. He says, sanctify them in the truth. Why? As you have sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For their sakes I sanctify myself, and they themselves also may be sanctified where? In the truth. Your word is truth. How are we to be separated from the world? Is it that we don't go to work? How are the apostles to be separated from the world? Were they just to go off into some mountain someplace? No. Were they to not have conversations with the people? No. Were they not to enjoy the things that God provided in the world? No. Christ ate. Christ got involved in feasts, the wedding. Christ got involved with interaction with the people. He sat in their houses. In fact, he was accused because he was sitting in people's houses. He got involved, but how did he relate to the world? Because he says to us, we're to be set apart as he was set apart. They were sent into the world, his apostles, so are we. I'm, I'm doing application when I say we. But he wanted his apostles to be set apart the same way how? By the word of God. The word of God is what separates us. The word of God, what Christ had taught his apostles, what he had instructed his apostles in, they had the truth. And so he wanted them. Sanctification is a lifelong process. It was for them. We are in Christ, yes, positionally. But as we go apart day by day, we are set apart in the truth. It is the Bible, folks. It is the word of God. For them, they had the Old Testament. For them, they had the teachings of Christ. And that was to what would set them apart from what? <clears throat> the religions of the world. The Judaizers of the world. It would set them apart from the gods and goddesses that had been created by man in the world that they lived in. It would separate them and help them to get victory when trials and tribulations did come. When Satan came along, that's why there's a third aspect to the prayer. 
and Peter did deny him, as the Lord said, they still would find victory in Christ, and they still could bounce back because of the word that Christ gave them, which was the encouraging part as well, and that is when you recover, basically go on. We know that as, do you love me? Yes. Do you love me? Yes. Do you love me? Well, then go feed the sheep. Move on. They were separated by the word of God. We need the Bible. And by the way, we have it more than any generation, probably, as far as this sense. There was generations that had God speak to them directly. But in this sense, availability through computers, through print, through the everyday people, they had scrolls in the Old Testament. They had to meet. People didn't have copies. We have copies, and we don't even wear the Bibles out. Why do we need to read it? Why did they need to be settled in his word? Because that's what would separate them, the truth, from everything that they were confronted with. And we are confronted as well in all different aspects of our life, how to perform on the job, what our relationship is with our wife, how do we relate to the world? What is the truth about marriage? What is the truth about the gospel? What is the truth about heaven? Jesus Christ had been training these men and instructing them, and they needed to be set apart from the world, not by the way they dressed, not by the way uh, they, where they went to, per se, but by the truth of the word of God. That was what to separate them. It was their relationship to the Father first, they needed to be protected from the attacks of Satan. And by the way, Ephesians chapter 6, I didn't even deal with it, helps us to be protected from those attacks by putting on the armor of God. We're able to resist the trickery of the devil. But also, in a practical way, it works out because we had to be separated by the word of God. Turn with me to another passage you know, 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. <clears throat> Would the apostles have failure? Yes. Would the apostles have struggles economically? Yes. Would they have struggles with religious workers? Yes. Would they be cast out of their families because of their beliefs and have those difficulties? Yes. Would they, as they began to meet together as the early church, have divisions among themselves and have concerns? Yes. Would believers not be thinking the right way and there would be problems in the local assemblies? Yes. Well, how did they get victory? Did the Lord pray for them to get out of all of that stuff? No. But first, they'd be centered on who they belong to. They be in the Father. They stay there. Secondly, that as Satan comes and attacks those apostles, that Father keep them, preserve them, keep them from that evil one. The power of his overtaking them, not just that they would not have trials, but that they would not submit to that. And thirdly, set them apart in a positive way. How? By the word of God in every one of those situations. In 2 Timothy chapter 3 that you could quote, Backwards and forwards for me, probably. And i got to just move because I'm in 1 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 3. He says, beginning in verse 15, I'll say this because he go back to Timothy. From your childhood you knew the sacred scriptures, watch, which are able to give you wisdom. 
It leads to salvation, right? Eternal life through faith that is in Christ. It is the scriptures who reveal the true Messiah. It is the scriptures that bring them to salvation, that give them wisdom in life. Verse 16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God, but watch this, it's profitable. It's beneficial for teaching, for reproof, for correction. Just think of your own life. For training or discipline and righteousness, God's a holy father. Why? So that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. You want to be adequate? You want to be equipped for work, good work? You want to be equipped to have a victorious life for Christ? What is it that separates you? The word of God. So that when you hear it, when it's taught to you, when you and I understand what God wants, that we respond in our everyday life. That's how he's praying for his apostles, I believe. In three areas. That they first understand the unity that we all have together. Keep them there. Don't let them get lost and focused on what the world might present as God. Or get lost in their own flesh pulling away and coming up with their own ideas, but that they stay centered as the Son did, right in who the Father is in that relationship. That's where their joy will be, verse 13. I don't say that you take them away from Satan or take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. That is from being overtaken by him and yielding to him and then set them apart. How in a practical way? By the truth. The word of God, people still ask that question today. In this century right now, in dealing with relativism and dealing with the concept, is there any black and white? Is there truth? The answer, folks, is yes. And he says right there, what is truth? Thy word is truth. The word of God is truth. It is spoken. It is what we can rely on, what we can hold to. Yes, Jesus Christ is the truth as well as the person. But they were to be set, afi- set apart by the truth that they had received as Jesus Christ had taught them. And he sent them into the world to that. And as he was set apart, how did Jesus Christ get victory over Satan in Matthew chapter 4? You know how? The word of God. Specifically, book of Deuteronomy. And Satan even used the word of God on him, just like he did on Eve. Is that really what God said? And if you don't think that's going on in the 21st century, you better pinch yourself. Because everybody's become an expert in the word of God and has changed it. We need to be careful that we take it as it is. As it is. And know it. And that that's our guide. And staying in Christ is what guides our decisions. Being settled in him. As he prayed for his disciples, he didn't want them to come out of the world. That's how he prayed for them. To be kept by the Father. Where? In his name. To be kept in that location. That they would understand. That's what kept Jesus Christ on course in everything that he faced because he knew who he belonged to. Do we even think about that? You know, there's a lot that goes on in our world in which when people are identified with certain families and so forth and they do something, it's, and maybe some of your kids have even heard that. Isn't so-and-so your father or isn't so-and-so your mother and so forth? What are they saying to you? 
that at least that father or mother has some type of representation and respect that's out there that you're supposed to be reflecting that. That's what's happened to all believers. That's what the apostles were to do. Reflect the one that they belong to, not be caught up in the world. They were to realize that Satan was real. They were not going to escape the temptations, but don't give in to his power. And thirdly, they were to be set apart, not as oddities, but as people who knew the truth and could make their decisions based upon the truth of the word of God, not on what the world offers, not on what they might think, but what the truth of the word of God is. That's how Jesus Christ operated. That was his prayer for his disciples so that they would enjoy the unity of the Father and Son as they went forth as representatives of the church of Jesus Christ so the church would be unified. Let's pray. Our Father in God, I thank you and praise you for the prayer of the Lord Jesus Christ, even in behalf of his apostles. And while it was so essential because they were the first generation that was left here on earth to further the gospel of Jesus Christ, they faced the same challenges that we did. And we do. They face the same challenges that Jesus Christ did. Of his own flesh wanting to go one way, but needing to stay centered in the things of God. Of Satan tempting and drawing away from the things of God. And Father, they needed the power to resist that. They needed the power to go forth and be set apart from the world by the word of God. And Father, so do we. We need to have that in our lives so that we know the word, we know who we belong to, we realize that Satan is our enemy, and that, Father, we stand strong and true. And I pray, Father, you'd help us to do that, even throughout the week. We thank you, Father, that you are holy. We thank you, Father, that you've given us the indwelling Holy Spirit, for even the things you requested of the apostles were not possible apart from the indwelling Holy Spirit, and it's not possible with us either apart from that. But yet, Father, it is possible to have victory just as the apostles did, and even when they failed to be forgiven and move on because they belong to you. Help us to do that. Help us to be conscious every day of who we represent and how we ought to have victory in our lives day by day. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.